Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind. Listeners know that we explore many realms of the human journey, and some of our podcasts, including some of my favorites, delve into wisdom traditions, sometimes ancient writings or teachings that arise from a variety of backgrounds, sources that help us to focus on truths that really matter. And a lot of this boils down to connecting to something bigger than ourselves, to see that we're all part of some mysterious river of meaning, that the whole is truly greater than the sum of its parts. When I can get calm and touch that inner place of quietude, it points me homeward. Thank you. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Additional funding for this series has been provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Institutes of Health, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and the Park Foundation. It may be the first moment that it ever occurred to them that they can live. And the next question is, okay, how can I live better? How can I live longer? What can I do? A cancer diagnosis is scary, but when patients come together to support each other, the empathy can be healing. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. is now so rampant that almost everyone has come face to face with the illness, either personally or through a friend or loved one. Perhaps surprisingly though, for most people the disease will not be fatal. But cancer can certainly threaten your life and at first it may be terrifying. I interviewed two women today who hadn't a clue that they had cancer. In Boston, Dr. Ann Webster counsels cancer patients at Harvard University's Mind Body Medical Institute. Just on a routine checkup, uh, both of these happened to have been diagnosed with lymphoma, had absolutely no physical symptoms whatsoever, feeling perfectly fine, and the next thing you know it are told that they have stage four lymphoma. So these women are in utter shock. And total disbelief. So they're so emotionally upset about this bad news that has come on so suddenly. I think if you have a warning sign or some kind of a symptom, you might anticipate this. But to have this come at you out of the blue when you're healthy and fit and really taking care of yourself and, and find that it's pretty advanced already is absolutely frightening. It's something that I think is common to all of us in, in many ways were we to sit across the desk from a physician and have that physician look you in the eye and say, I'm sorry to tell you, you have cancer. That no matter what else is going on in your life, you're suddenly very different from virtually everyone you know. Dr. Michael States directs a clinical program for cancer patients at the Wellness Community in Santa Monica, California. So there's that isolation. You're alone in that moment. I know very few people particularly of a certain age, who don't hear the word cancer and immediately equate it with death. So there's an immediate loss of hope. Loss of control 
is suddenly six other people are telling you, you have to do this, you have to do that. They're bringing you books. The doctors say you're going to lose your hair. The doctors say you're going to have this kind of treatment. And the sense that, that your body that you've maybe relied upon and had a sense of is now totally out of control, as well as the rest of your life. How you parent if you're, if you're a parent, how you work if you're employed, how you're in a relationship, everything is suddenly different in that moment. While at one time a disease people whispered about, cancer has emerged from the closet in part because medicine can now treat it more effectively. No longer are patients expected to bear the emotional burden of a major illness in stoic silence. And the process of connecting with others, whether friends and loved ones or increasingly members of support groups, can confer significant benefits to physical health, not to mention the quality of a patient's life. In major studies, medical science has established for a variety of ailments that the act of communicating with people is good medicine. Physician David Spiegel at Stanford University Medical School. Being isolated is bad for your health. That people who had few social contacts, few people they could call up if for an emergency or just if they wanted to talk to someone, um, had about a twofold elevated risk of dying. Uh, and the risk of isolation to your health is as bad as smoking or having high serum cholesterol levels. So we are social creatures and social support uh, is critical to survival. There have been studies in particular involving cancer patients and basically the same thing has been found that, that both risk and also prognosis from cancer is associated with social isolation. You know, we're fundamentally social beings and uh, it's an unnatural thing to be isolated from one's social environment. Um, and yet, much that happens when you get cancer or heart disease or other serious illness involves exactly that. You're removed from the day-to-day -day sources of social support and contact. Uh, friends and family even may be scared and not know what to do or what to say. So you, a process gets set in motion where people become more isolated at a time when they need social support more. And there's also the phenomenon of people who simply become very embarrassed. There's somehow a stigma that attaches to having cancer. Well, there is, there is a sense of shame. There is a, yeah, there is a stigma. It's peculiar. <laughs> there was a wonderful line in the book, The Doctor, uh, in which he had stayed up all night um, trying to save a man after a heart attack and failed and went to tell his brother the next morning that he died. And the brother said, well, Doc, thank God he didn't have cancer. <laughs> you know, the outcome couldn't have been much worse. But there is this sense that there's something uniquely awful about cancer. And oddly enough, many people with the disease somehow feel ashamed of it. One place where people are encouraged to face cancer with confidence is here at the national headquarters of the wellness community near Los Angeles. It was founded as a nonprofit in 1982 by Harold Benjamin, a charismatic lawyer-turned-psychologist whose wife has battled breast cancer. The wellness community offers classes and support groups free of charge to some 20,000 cancer patients each year. 
Its highly respected program recognizes that doctors' visits and medical treatment frequently are unable to address the profound emotional crisis so often swirling around someone with cancer. Newcomers typically arrive discouraged. The wellness community works to restore a sense of hope. That recovery is possible if a patient actively pursues it. Having the opportunity to come to some place like the wellness community with this home-like atmosphere and to sit in a room with 12 other people who have had that moment of having a doctor look you in the eye and saying, you have cancer. You're not alone anymore. You see people in that room who have finished their chemotherapy, who are talking about going back to work, who are at different moments in their lives, who can also talk to you about the actions that they took to communicate with their physicians, to have a better understanding and education about their disease, to in fact participate in their own fight for recovery. And you have hope. You have ways to regain control. Patients who participate in the wellness community are often remarkable people from many backgrounds who've thought deeply about the challenge and the mystery of having cancer. I think it's an openness to seeing this as an experience in life, an openness to saying this is part of real life. You can either run from the experience or you can make it a full experience for yourself and try to have as much fun while you're doing it. Now you have a, a, a little grin on your face. I, I absolutely do and it's, it's more like the fun can continue despite all the difficulties. That's how I would put it. I'm not having more fun because I have cancer. I'd rather go back to be my old frivolous self and be cancer free. But the fun doesn't have to end because you have cancer. And you have to focus on all the stuff that you still can do and still can enjoy. What and for you is fun now? Um, being with people in a more intense way than I maybe would be if I weren't sick. I'm much more selective in what I do, how I spend my time, who I spend it with. Um, one big um, word here that comes up a lot of the time is permission. Cancer will give you permission to pursue the things that you really want to do. And um, because so something in particular you've pursued now? Uh, I've done a lot of writing. Um, the wellness community uh, provided me with the incentive because I've been in a writing group here. And I realized that my kids won't hear some of the things, some of the words of wisdom that I have to impart on them. So my solution is I write about it, and that way I don't have to bore them with my lectures, as they call them. <laughs> and yet I, um, I collect some things I want to talk about, and maybe at a later point in 30 years, they might want to look at it, and it might answer the question, well, I wonder what life was like for my mother when she had cancer nice legacy. One of the psychological barriers that cancer patients must walk through is the primal emotion of fear, 
in the face of a disease that can be terminal. So working through one's fears and bringing them out into the daylight is a common task at the wellness community. Malcolm Schultz has facilitated support groups there for nearly 20 years. We know on one hand fear is biologically uh, inherent and necessary for us to mobilize ourselves in the face of certain threats. So if the lion comes roaring after you, you had better develop some fear. Or you won't jump out of the way or you won't do what you need to do to save your life. And where fear becomes less than healthy for you is if it's a long-term unremitting fear that causes unremitting stress. And we know that that unremitting stress caused by fear over a long period of time or anxiety, which is a lesser form of fear, can depress the immune system. And of course it will affect quality of life to be in fear. And we also know from the research that it will depress the immune system. And so that will affect, may, may affect the physical recovery. So when you see a lion all the time and there's no lion there, and your body still reacts as though there's a lion, you are producing all kinds of uh, chemicals and transmitters in your body. Stress hormones. Stress hormones that um, if they go on too long can have a deleterious effect on the systems. A substantially damaging effect? Yes. I was in a state of shock and I was very anxious. Krista Zapner Leonard, a language teacher, was diagnosed with breast cancer and has undergone surgery, radiation, and eight cycles of chemotherapy. She's been through a powerful emotional odyssey as well. Being anxious is probably the one emotion that I find the hardest to deal with because your whole body's just in the flight response and you wake up with a racing heart and you just have this overwhelming feeling of, I can't deal, I can't function. And um, that's how I started out and I was able through tricks that I've acquired over a lifetime to get a hold of that anxiety within two days or so and, and regain my balance. But I had this very acute sense that I needed all the help that I could recruit because my family was way too terrified to be able to be much help to me. I was terrified and I really needed people who were in the same situation so that I could get enough, regain enough balance to face my children, face my husband, and do whatever necessary steps I had to take for my treatment. Counselor Malcolm Schultz. You know, if someone comes into the room and they talk about their diagnosis and how they immediately thought they were going to die and how they thought of all the people that they knew that had cancer that died and how they asked, why me? Why did I get this? I've always, I've always done the right thing. I've maintained a healthy lifestyle. I'm a good person. They find out the moment they expose that thought, we ask the group, oh, well, there are other members of the group who have had this experience. And within 10 seconds, they've heard, Yes, there are many people in the group that have, they see heads nodding. They're understood. Suddenly they're in a place where they're understood. 
And that is so key because while they can tell their family members and they can tell their friends who haven't experienced this and get some kind of sympathy or some kind of empathy, um, they know that no one really understands their situation. But when they walk in the room with other cancer patients, some who are better off than them and some who are worse off than them, they know they're understood. I was diagnosed in February of 2000 with anal squamous cell carcinoma. Elizabeth Barrison was for many years a preschool teacher. I was um, very angry and very frightened and also absolutely determined that I would not die from something about my rear end. It's the nice way of putting it. I, I would not die from it. I was given radiation and chemotherapy. I've had many healthy checkups since then. Um, I still have pain from the radiation burn, and this has acted like a volcano on my life. It's just opened up so many issues for me to explore. So I'm one of those people who talks about cancer being a gift. It is such an extreme experience to be dealt a potential death sentence from one day to the next. And so I, I quickly realized that the supreme help for me was really coming from people who were in the same situation rather than friends or family who are too close to it to be very helpful. And so what was it that you gained from your interactions with people in the same situation? Information, but also reassurance. Um, it's a very lonely place to have to make that decision about your treatment. Ultimately, you are the one who has to make that decision, no matter how many doctors are helping you with it. And coming here helped me to make my decision and then to be comfortable with that uh, decision because you realize there are no 100% clear answers. There's a big gamble. There are more questions than answers. And to maneuver your way through this jungle of cancer I don't think would have been possible for me without the wellness community because they were equipped to deal with every aspect of the experience. It became a safe haven and a place of amazing connections with other people who I would have not met. And the quality of the relationships I attribute largely to the fact that people don't wear masks once they're dealing with cancer. A lot of the ways in which we interact have to do with impressing each other. And when you're dealing with such an, a life-threatening situation, you just don't have the time to play the usual role games, and it's immediately to the essential. So it makes you more real. Makes you much more real, yes. Scott Hitt, a successful physician, learned he had colon cancer at age 40. Cancer later developed in his liver as well. 
He's undergone major surgery and chemotherapy. When people ask me about how it feels to be dealing with this, um, I look at September 11th, and I, I make up that most of the people in this country got an idea of how I feel on a regular basis on that day. Um, that fact of, you know, saying I love you to people that we love and connecting with family and with friends and looking at things in a different light and certain things being more important than others. Um, and I, it was interesting in my support group that a lot of us were talking a week or two later that, you know, the, the events of September 11th weren't really affecting us all that much. Wow. And we all turned to each other and said, gosh, I was feeling really guilty about that. And we all went, so was I, so was I. And suddenly we all realized most of us in the room were the same thing. And we went, I guess because that's how we deal with life every day. And it's to the rest of the world, it's almost like, well, welcome to our world. Mm -hmm. And we can't get any more like that than we already are. Uh, and, and the closer you are to facing your own possible mortality, I think it's easier to look at the world that way. I had seen death before. My grandmother died at home and she had raised me, so it was really more like my mother had um, died at home. I was very close to the process and I witnessed it. And I, um, I had worked in a hospital in college for a period of time and I saw young people and old people and beautiful people and dumb people and smart people die, so I never thought that um, if you were very smart, you could outwit death, because I had really experienced that that wasn't true, and even people who fought very hard died from it. Um, but I had now lived in a culture that very much um, has a problem with death for a very long time, and I has a problem with death, meaning yeah. denies death? To the death. point that you sit in support groups with people who cannot say the word die, literally cannot get it over their lips. It's this pink elephant that, that is in the room that nobody wants to acknowledge. They find all ways to, to talk around it, but it made me realize how necessary it was to have a place where you can talk about that. Because as soon as you bring up your fear of death with friends or with family, they just, they're terrified, they panic. They don't want you to bring it up because to them it means you've given up. So what you typically will hear is, oh, don't even mention that. Think positively. Look at all the things that you can do. Look how far cancer research has come. Look at all the new treatments. There's no end to what we can do. And yet, along the way, if you come to the wellness community, 
you realize that sometimes it can't be fixed. And once that busy treatment mode is over and you have more time to think, that fear of death is going to come again. And there is no course out there that teaches you how to die with dignity. But this place is a safe place to discuss that and to realize that you can learn even that. I have seen people go through the whole process and I've immensely benefited from having witnessed that process. And it doesn't mean you can't cry, it doesn't mean you can't have breakdowns. It makes you less afraid to show what's really there, what emotions you really have, because whatever it is, it's acceptable and people can deal with it. Many patients, uh, I think, uh, acquire a kind of wisdom in living. Dr. David Spiegel at Stanford has led support groups for patients. His famous medical study of women with advanced breast cancer found that quality of life and possibly length of life was greater for those who partake of the honesty and caring atmosphere of support groups. You know, many of my breast cancer patients said, I wish I knew 20 years ago what I know now, you know, about what matters and what doesn't. They trivialize the trivial in life. Uh, Irv Yalom says cancer cures neurosis. You know, you, you don't have time to worry, sweat the small stuff. I think uh, people, they, they get away from all or none thinking. You know, we tend to think most of the time, I'm perfectly healthy, I'm gonna be fine, and you know, die in my sleep when I'm 80. Or as somebody said, he, he had hoped to be shot in the back by a jealous lover when he was 110. You know, that was his goal in life. Um, life isn't like that. And so when, we, when we're given a diagnosis like cancer or heart disease, suddenly you think, my life is over. I'm finished. It's ruined. No pleasure in life. And one of the things, when you see other people living with serious illness, you realize, you know, it ain't wonderful, but it ain't over either. And... and uh, so you learn to reorder your priorities. You learn to face your fears. Many cancer patients are far more worried about the process of dying than death itself. Because uh, of the pain and the decay the pain, of the, the body. The loss of control, the decay of the body, the sense of isolation from loved ones. And there are things you can do about all those things. You know, you can't do anything about the fact that we ultimately all die, but you can do a lot about how we live our life with a, with a disease process. And so you learn to take control of those aspects of the process of disease that you can control and not struggle against the ones that you can't. Um, and there's also a, a very interesting kind of pattern that emerges as people become closer to one another. There's something very intimate about dying, about uh, being with someone who's dying. Uh, about giving as well as receiving help. You become an expert in living. You can help other people through the process of dying. And that is a kind of strength. It's part of our humanity. Uh, I think it's a very important part of life. And so people discover their strengths as well as their, their vulnerabilities, and they feel better about themselves to the extent they can face fears. And I think they become wiser. They, you know, they, they, they get everything they can out of the lives they have. They value the people in their lives. Uh, 
Every moment matters. Um, but they also are, you know, learn to accept those aspects of our contingent life that they can't do anything about. So I think many people who deal with it well deal with it in a very resolute way. Listening to Humankind, I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Steve Colby. Editorial assistance from Francis McGovern. Consultants Dr. Leo Stolbach and Dr. Ann Webster. Special thanks to Brad Cohen, Harriet Berman, Seth Doraswamy, and Kathy Graham. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with The Network Incorporated. Program development and support provided by Shart Media. You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org. This segment about cancer support groups is Humankind Program number 60. The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NPR One, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org, and at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.